Hi FM presents South African politics and news with the South African Institute of Race Relations. The IRR show, independent, relevant and real, is hosted by Big Daddy Liberty and Sarah Gon every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10, promoting life, liberty and property rights. All right, good morning and welcome to another episode of it is the IRR show with Big Daddy Liberty and Saragon. We do have a special guest with us, someone really who will help us look at uh, the IMF as an institution and also really unpack the implications of getting a loan from the IMF as South Africa has at the moment. Um, that's Jonathan Cutton. Nellenbochen, <laughs> um, I always say, you know, saying that in one sentence um, properly is a bit of a challenge. Jonathan, good morning and welcome to the IRR show. Good morning, Big Daddy. How are you? Good, my brother. It is very good to have you on the show. Um, Jonathan, we, we, we're absolutely fascinated, um, you know, just as a show. I mean, we, we, we've chewed the fact on this issue in previous shows around you know, the, the IMF as an institution, you know, it, it's, it's spoken of with a reverence in this country and a fear and some quarters a loathing. Um, but who are they exactly and why are they so significant? Well, it's, uh, it, it's one of the two Bretton Woods institutions that was set up after the war by, among others, um, John, the great economist John Maynard Keynes. And the idea was that um, the bank would finance development-type projects and the IMF would finance balance of payments deficits. And these two institutions would help avoid the catastrophe of the uh, Great Depression that um, uh, started in 1929 into the 30s and would also help avoid um, um, economic crises becoming um, into um, uh, transforming themselves into na- international conflicts so it was built out of uh, the the, concern, the the post-war um, aims of avoiding the um, the errors the catastrophes that came out of the um, recession now it's often said that the bank should call, be called the um, fund and the fund should be called the bank and there's some truth to that what the fund does is finance the help countries that face um, large balance of payments, external deficits, and cannot pay their external bills, are running out of foreign exchange. And it helps them um, through policy conditions, um, it agrees on policy conditions with them of adjustments they should make, and also provides the, um, um, the loan to help them get out of this mess. Um, and, of course, you know, it's in the firing line whenever it makes a loan. There are always um, uh, politicians in the countries and, the, and the, the left generally who scream and shout that the IMF is imposing conditions um, on them. The IMF does, <laughs> doesn't uh, resist this uh, uh, accusation because it's, it's best that they blame the IMF rather than the government, and the government often want to push this blame onto the IMF. Um, I, uh, I lived in Washington for some time, and I had a great deal of contact with the IMF. They were very secret 
back in the 1980s. And they've opened up um, greatly since then. And they released their reports. If you want to report on any country in the world, they're called Article 4 reports because they, they, they are produced under the IMF's um, mandate of surveillance whereby they send a team to a country that meets with the central banks, goes through their statistics, and um, uh, their, uh, and, and looks at everything very carefully. And I've read many reports, and they're very well done, and their studies are, are very interesting. Uh, and mm. I think that they provide a uh, unique role. Um, Jonathan, you mentioned the left. Um, our left, the South African Communist Party, the trade union movement, and a whole bunch of people in between, regard the IMF a bit like uh, Dracula would regard garlic. Um, it is, it, it, it's almost a, a, a religious belief in, in, in hell on earth that you should approach the IMF for anything. Why is this? Why, does the, why is the left so adamantly opposed to assistance by the IMF? Well, one of the reasons is that they um, impose mar- on the whole market-based reforms. That's one reason. Mm-hmm. Secondly, is that they shout, they scream, um, it's an infringement of our sovereignty. Mm-hmm. But yet, if it was infringement of sovereignty, why are most countries in the world members of the IMF? They regard it as a, certainly as a good forum in which they can um, have contact with other countries and access to state-of-the-art um, economic um, uh, research. Um, it's it's a it's an institution of, of central bankers. So the central bankers mm-hmm. like to know what's going on. And secondly, they oh, it's an insurance policy. If you do run into a crisis for some reason, you can get um, a massive loan from the IMF. You have mm-hmm. a quota, and you can borrow that um, um, full quota on the basis of of uh, no conditions, as we did. Um, so is that an infringement of sovereignty? No, it's the exercise of your sovereign um, right. Mm. Secondly, the, the other issue I raised was that the left don't like these market-based solutions. Mm. But without finance, you know, you are going to have to adjust to your balance of payments deficit, not being able to import drug shortages and so forth um, through extreme economic hardship. Mm. The um, IMF funding allows you to do that um, to adjust um, through easier and more efficient means. It gives you a loan. It means you can continue to import critical supplies. And that's of tremendous value. You know, you mm. don't have to suddenly adjust. You mm. don't have to um, suddenly um, stop importing petrol. You mm. don't have to suddenly stop importing medical supplies, drugs, and uh, spare parts. The IMF allows you to do that if you're in a crunch, mm. albeit mm. With, um, with with policies that are going to get you right. Mm. Oh, mm. God forbid. Jonathan, very quickly, sorry, uh, sorry. Um, a lot of people also sort of kind of go, uh, or wonder rather, oh, you know, if, if, if countries have run out of money, um, where exactly does the IMF get its money? Is this fictitious money that is just printed out of uh, then can you, can you maybe just quickly uh, talk to that point as to where the IMF itself gets the money to lend out? Okay, well, every country in the world pays in what is called its quota of um, um, of money, and that is paid in in foreign exchange, U.S. dollars, um, um, or whatever mix of, of foreign country uh, currencies, 
And um, the quota is in relation to your economic weight in the world. It's in relation to your GDP. So, you know, the biggest countries have the biggest quotas and they have the biggest vote mm. um, at the IMF. Then you mm. can mm. Bor- borrow up to um, then you can borrow on top of that um, up to um, uh, something like 400 percent over, I think, three years. If you run into a Sheesh. crisis on top of your on top of drawing on your um, quota, the extent of your quota alone. Now, the IMF lends in what are called special drawing rights, which is a nominal currency, which reflects a basket of currencies, U.S. dollar, um, euro, um, etc., et the major currency, yuan, the major currencies um, of the world. And the IMF would invest these um, uh, resources into, um, um, you know, it would, place, it would place them in, in commercial banks and other banks, and central banks and, and earn an interest on that and we should manage those. And, um, mm. so, and certain countries have a balance of payments surpluses and they're doing well, so they're not going to have to withdraw. So they're, there's, they're always, you know, they make sure that they have sufficient resources, but they also mm. have special facilities that can help uh, poorer countries out in spe- at special times. So in the past, Saudi Arabia and Japan and countries which carry big balance and big have big foreign exchange reserves have contributed um, to those facilities. Um, Jonathan, can I can I can I ask um, the the nature of the of 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 the assistance given to South Africa now though is not what we envisage as a, a sort of standard normal IMF loan. It, it serves a very different purpose, doesn't it? Yes, it's an emergency facility. The IMF comes up with these, you know, you, if say we had a crit, if a country, um, has a critical drought, if there's an economic shock of some mm. sort, there are facilities at the IMF that they can draw on to the extent of their uh, quota. And, um, there are no conditions attached to these other than cooperation with the fund which might be a fairly uh, broad term. But so there was um, the IMF sent um, had a, a, a mission. They called it a mission, but they didn't because of COVID-19. They didn't send anyone out. And they produced this report, which goes to the broad board. And um, they came up with the motivation basically along the lines that um, South Africa um, critically needs these um, resources because of because it, without them, it would be very difficult for the country to uh, future. Sorry, excuse me. Future growth of the country would be jeopardised, and that of the region, because South Africa is the um, um, economic giant of the of the region, and its growth rate is um, uh, helps uh, 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 countries, the smaller countries in the in our region. And hence, um, there were no conditions. But there were um, stipulations that the uh, COVID-19 financing be perfectly transparent. Um, and I think that, you know, they're, they're of course, highly aware of, of, um, <laughs> of um, corruption and that, the, the IM, and that we send them um, quarterly reports on um, the, the spending. And virtually that very, very weak, 
this is the IMF um, resources were released. They announced the um, that there would be a load. They uh, there was all these corruption scandals related to the COVID nineteen um, uh, spending. So it, it was well timed. I thought this was this call for transparency was well timed. Isn't this almost like a black swan event in the sense that the corruption is, I mean, we've lived with it for over a decade and uh, it's a byword for ANC governance for most of us. Um, and but what happened in saying that it has to be transparent and it has to be reported on is that suddenly the, the government was caught in a, in a, in a, almost in a trap of, oh my God, we have to be uh, accountable and we have to show we're doing it, but we, we don't know how because so much in government is, uh, is a matter of corruption, and we, we haven't been able to deal with that. And it's had it's had an absolutely unexpected and unintended effect on the on the whole body politic and and where the ANC goes from this. Because I, I don't see them being able to to pull it together. They're so so enmeshed in it. Um, or do you think they can focus their minds and at least do this correctly? Well, who knows? You know, they're going to have to be transparent and they're going to have to uh, be transparent on the contracts. The actual letter of intent, which is written by countries, mm. by signed by the um, governors, the, the governor of the central bank and the um, minister of finance, so Tita Mbewene mm. and uh, Lesetje Hanyako, um, uh, com- is, uh, makes this commitment to mm. uh, transparency. And I think it's you know, given their um, uh, views, they, they're perfectly, perfectly prepared to sign it and would see it as a good thing. But wh- how it's going to be done in practice is going to be very interesting. Is the Department of Health really going to be able to come up with or, or prepare to come up with this, li- this these line items showing each contract um, what it was for, which will uh, subject them to great scrutiny because it'll be the IMF, I'm, I, I'm sure, um, will make this public as it should be. You know, mm-hmm. every line item, there's nothing secret about Department of Health contracts. Um, um, and this, this creates a, an, an enormously good precedent in, um, in, in opening up transparency in government procurement. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look at the budget um, of the South African budget, it's not all that transparent. You know, there are some broad categories that you don't know what is going on, you know, that have either gone up or down. But I think we should be able to see every single contract. As it is made, it should be on um, um, on a website, and there should be a good template um, to, to, do, to do this. And that's the way that could be a very effective way of of, um, of fighting corruption. The IMF was also the IMF was also sorry, manipulated. Yes, not at all. Uh, sorry, Jonathan, <laughs> I'm just keeping an eye on time here. Um, let's go to a quick ad break, and when we come back, we'll unpack that a little further, and I'll, I'll probe you a little bit on um, why there is so much fear around the IMFs coming in with structural adjustment policies in a given country. What do these policies actually really mean? We're in conversation with Jonathan Kay about the IMF um, and its implications. Jonathan, before the break, you were really finishing off a point, um, but I, I, I sort of interjected by, by wanting to really ask you the question, because there's so much fear-mongering and gnashing of teeth, isn't there, around the IMF, and you explained as to why. But maybe one thing we didn't look at is what are the structural adjustment policies that are often touted uh, in, in, in fear-mongering terms by the left? What does it mean for the IMF to come in and, and say, 
uh, at a policy level, you must change this, this, and this, and this. What are some of the changes or really the policy proposals that are often made by the IMF? Well, we know what the conditions of a um, IMF loan would be because they're in every Article 4 report that the IMF produces every um, year to 18 months. And those are as follows. Cut your deficit. Um, cut the bailouts of um, state-owned enterprises. Cut the um, uh, change the labour laws to make um, uh, uh, to, to to allow people to take on uh, new labour and create jobs. Create an easier investment climate. Um, uh, make it easier to do business. There are a whole lot of the World Bank does this report ease of doing business, and South Africa falters on all of on on all of them. And is 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 um, it's ranks it's ranking on many of the, on most uh, deteriorates from year to year. Um, roll out more broadband for the past ten years or so. The government has spoken about oh we're going to have um, greater broadband which will allow faster and um, and cheaper access, but it hasn't done so for some unfathomable reason. The um, all the all the network operators are are, are are waiting for this and would would pay for it. But the but the government ICASA the telecommute just simply doesn't do that. So it's all those things. And of course, you know, Casato and the unions would scream blue murder against deep cuts in in the budget, to get, which are now absolutely necessary. And the the big test will be um, in October with the medium term. Um, budget policy statement to see if uh, uh, Minister Mbaweni is able to come through with those cuts, and cutting um, uh, subsidies to the um, the failing state-owned enterprises. Um, and so, you know, it would mean shedding of labour, but you know, it would be... There would be um, a new SA, a, a private sector SAA would in time... Uh, take up many of the SAA employees, they have experience, you know, mechanics or uh, aircraft mechanics would clearly be needed and have have jobs. Um, you know, and so these are the mm. sort of measures that um, that I think uh, union interests are uh, would resist. And also, mm. they also wish to restrict the increase in uh, public sector pay. Um, mm. All in my view, highly rational uh, measures, but measures in which there would be short-term pain. But the whole thing is that for the country as a whole, the, um, uh, the, the, it, these are growth-generating, mm. um, easing up um, investment uh, uh, restrictions, making business doing easier. So it's, it, it, it would be free market. Kasatu would be, in, in some respects, the short-term loser, as its, mm. as its base is within the uh, public sector. Um, but, you know, the choice really is between reform and short-term adjustment and pain. There would be pain for some, and uh, long-term growth for the country. That's the trade-off. Mm. You know, and I, absolutely, but, but Jonathan, let me play a devil's advocate here and, and actually, um, you know, assume the role of, of a, a red in tooth and claw, you know, sort of communist, uh, either trade unionist or, you know, SACP member and, and, and push back by saying, 
um, oh, well, they'll say, you know, but we, we kind of fought this, Jonathan, because, you know, uh, the state is always the best means um, of employing people and keeping an economy running. What we need in South Africa, the leftists would say, is a, a doubling down, really, of the current policies, more government, more red tape that, that secures our future as a, a sovereign nation away with the IMF. How would you respond to that, Jonathan? Well, the call for more government is misplaced because the multiplier, what, they, what economists call the multiplier of government finance, um, is minimal. And it's far bigger, actually, um, uh, with the private sector. The private sector generates more, can generate more jobs and <clears throat> economic growth than government. And the reason is that the, um, what economists call the uh, um, uh, the, the total factor productivity, the sort of magic um, ingredient that goes into economic growth. It's the, um, uh, it's, it's the residual. You have labor productivity, which is output per hours. You have capital mm-hmm. productivity, which is return on capital. And you have um, total factor productivity, which is a combination of both. It's far higher in the, in the, pri- pri- uh, in the private sector. And it has mm. been declining in South Africa because of the increased share of government. And this is the sort of manage, uh, the magic ingredient of management and the way you combine resources and do things um, into economic growth. So mm. this, this destroys any um, argument uh, for more, um, for, a, for a bigger um, state. Um, it just doesn't work in South Africa. We don't have the institutional capacity and we don't have the incentives. And there's some um, extensive corruption in procurement, which, which is a tremendous problem in lowering the efficiency and multiplier of, um, of, of state spending. Um, Jonathan, doesn't this just suggest that as long as you are, as, as long as you have a government antithetical to a pro-growth strategy, you're actually looking at a government whose only only concern is the survival of the party and the <coughs> comfort and well-being of uh, of its uh, of its immediate <coughs> of its support of its immediate supporters, the, 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 the people who it relies on to try and bring in the voters. What can I say? You know, I'm, I'm you know I'm pretty despondent about that. I think it's um, in the end it has been true. You know, you've had uh, they've had chance after chance for reform at, uh, when. When there was Ramaphoria, uh, 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 the president could have acted with swiftness. So that lasted f- uh, from 2017 to um, almost mid-2018. Uh, and now with the COVID crisis, you, you, uh, he could have come in early and, and taken these measures because the, a crisis is always a good time for reform. Mm. He didn't, you know, we were expecting something in the um, sub, I was at least expecting perhaps um, a mis- a mis- obviously mistakenly and perhaps naively on my part in the supplementary budget. There was there was there was nothing. And now we're waiting until um, the medium term budget policy statement in October. And if there's nothing in there, I think that um, then um uh, the credit rating agencies would really have been proven right and that, that there isn't a political basis uh, for reform, a political settlement within the ANC that can lead to these 
big measures that can take economy, the economy forward and, and really modernize the South African economy and take it into the new world. Mm. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, as we run out of time, and I have to keep an eye on, 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 on the, the clock here. Jonathan, maybe a final word then on uh, where we are in terms of our finances and the role perhaps the IMF will play going forward. Do you foresee a greater role? Um, you know, are we sliding into a bit of a precipice where, you know, the IMF will have to come in uh, in a much more sterner role maybe in the near future? I think so, because I, th- I don't think that uh, um, the Minister of Finance will be able to cut the budget deficit to the extent required, it were, if he doesn't. You know, you've got the, he has a target which has been accepted by the IMF, which is 87% of the, um, of, uh, for the uh, deficit, for the debt to GDP, the public sector debt to GDP ratio. It should really be well beyond this and with a lower economic growth, if he can't get the tax receipts and he can't get the spending through, I think that one will have to see the IMF. Interestingly enough, we don't have a um, we have a balance of payments deficit. The current, um, but we uh, but we are the central bank is sitting on large amounts of foreign exchange reserves. Um, but um, you know, you you can't have government. It would compromise the independence of the Reserve Bank to raid those. So we have a balance of payments deficit, but we still have to go to the IMF because there are no other resources. So we are going to see a greater role for the IMF. And, you know, if we go into an IMF program, we'll have to meet a series of preconditions, and you meet those preconditions, preconditions, and then they tranche the loan. They put it into different sections, which they release upon completion of certain conditions. And I've seen many uh, um, IMF loans that simply don't pan out. You know, the government can't meet the conditions, and they're abandoned. And I think it's going to be a long and difficult process. Absolutely. Jonathan, thank you so much. We have run out of time. That's Jonathan Katzen-Nellenbogen, who has joined us here. You can find his opinion and writing on the Daily Friend website now. That's www.dailyfriend.co.za. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. Enjoyed it. Thanks. Hi FM presents South African politics and news with the South African Institute of Race Relations. The IRR show, independent, relevant and real, is hosted by Big Daddy Liberty and Sarah Gon every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10, promoting life, liberty and property rights.